Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and this is 70mm, a podcast for film lovers just like you. Every Monday, I chat about recently watched movies with my close friend and artist, Danny Haas. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Put it right next to porn on Letterboxd for me. And my close friend and movie insider, Pertalexis. Danny obviously taking performance-enhancing drugs with this art that he's been producing. Has anyone seen this art? Every month, we have a new theme that guides our featured discussion for that episode. And this month, it's The Last Temptation of 70mm, films focused on the spiritual, the religious, and the beyond. And Danny's pick for this week is The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese. Is it really the most blasphemous movie ever made? Or is it a low-budget snooze fest? Let's find out now. We need to address the elephant in the room. Excuse me. Um, Danny obviously taking performance-enhancing drugs with <laughs> this art that he's been producing. Has anyone seen this art? Please, if you haven't seen this art, look P-E-Bs. at your phone right now. <laughs> what is what is happening to this show? First, Interstellar. Now, uh, now Jesus Christ. My gosh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I haven't come back down from Interstellar app. Will you ever come down? No. From the interstellar high from last week. New normal. Depends. We'll find out what our pick is next week. We, I mean, we toyed with the idea. We, we talked about it last night in uh, a pre-show from the night before, which we did. I, I don't have time to explain why we did that. Don't explain it. But <laughs> we toyed with that. Do we send this print to local churches? <laughs> is this how we mm-hmm. make an impact locally? By sending the Willem Dafoe 70 millimeter Jesus print? Yeah. I think we could reach them. To all nations. Last week, we had to get back to the Interstellar episode last week. It was a big, it was a big hit last week. The numbers were in. I was, you know, the ticker tape machine pumped, pumped the numbers out. People were ready for an Interstellar rep. And I, and honestly, the tweets that we sent out last week. Insane. I mean, you, you saw the numbers, Danny, on those tweets. You would think we were paying for those numbers, but we weren't. We don't pay for that kind of nonsense. I refuse to pay Elon Musk any amount of money. And anyone that does, they should be brought into the center square of town. And I don't know what needs to happen, but I mean, maybe some of those scenes happen in The, in, uh, the Last Temptation of Christ. Oh. Something to think about. <laughs> that was all in just natural engagement. Is that what they call it? Yeah, grassroots. Natural and grassroots engagement. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, grassroots Listen. campaign. You know, it's very rare when you see someone get ratioed on Letterboxd. It's, it's so rare that people don't even know what that means. But it's when someone gets more comments than likes on the mm-hmm. review. And, you know, we, we I felt like I knew it was coming. It mm-hmm. was when Pearl left his review for Paris, Texas. Yeah. Harry Dean Stanton mm-hmm. 
Wim Wenders. This movie is nigh untouchable on Letterboxd, Proto, but people were starting to let you have it a little bit in comments. Proto touched it. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie is much beloved. And why is the question that I have. Why? Um, now, listen, I love Wim Wenders. It's confirmed. Mm-hmm. I, I gave five right. stars to his Until the End of the World. I'm, I'm probably one of the five people on the planet that has seen this movie. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, I loved uh, Wings of Desire as well. Uh, but I will say that all of Wim Wenders' movies do have like a, a very deliberate, slow pace. They take their time. And I love the content of both of those other movies that I saw. But I didn't really love the content of uh, Paris, Texas. So I think the slow, deliberate pace of that movie uh, the vibes just couldn't carry me through it. Uh, so I left it at, a, you know, I, I gave it two stars. I just I just didn't really care for it. And I didn't really love the Harry Dean Stanton uh, performance, who we'll, we'll be talking about later on. Stay tuned. Um, it, yeah, it just didn't work for me. And maybe that's because I, I wasn't fully engaged by the end of it. You know, I, I read a couple reviews and people said, you know, this, the last act of Paris, Texas is one of the greatest scenes in cinema period. Um, but you know, after two and a half hours of this movie, I just wasn't, I wasn't willing to, you know, be engaged at that point. So maybe at that point, that's why it just kind of, it didn't hit for me. I did read a really great review from, um, friend of the show, Brian Formo, uh, letterboxed employee who had a, a really great uh, breakdown, I think, of the movie and what worked. And when I read that that review, I think I really appreciated the movie and like what it was trying to communicate. Just as I was mm-hmm. watching it, it didn't really work for me. Um, so I'm at two stars. But as we've seen, as we saw last week with Interstellar, there's there's always the 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 door for redemption. So that's right. I mean. If this, if that explanation was written in Discord, I probably would have posted the dog on the bike backpedaling <laughs> in response. But since this is verbal conversation, there's no, there's no need. Some, just some, I'll just read some comments at random. Pick up the phone, Proto. Answer for your sins on this review. Mm. This review gives off Pepsi over Coke vibes. <laughs> so they were, they were out there. They had their acts. Like uh, Willem Dafoe. Did he have an axe? Oh, he did have an axe. Yeah, remember he wanted to murder people. He's like, this mm. is this is how I speak. We'll get into that later. We're going to talk yeah. about the last Someone station of Christ. I'm bringing it. an axe. <laughs> We're going to talk about axe wielding Jesus. We're going to talk about fornicating Jesus. Okay, people get, comf- get comfortable. We're going to get into it. I'm sweating. He was sweating too as he was grinding hard on, uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. In the in the in the discussion later, the show. use mercy. the chapters to fast forward if you must. Have mercy, Danny. Any movies that you watched this week that you want to discuss? <sighs> Listen, I didn't watch any movies this week. Here we go. I uh, there's so much TV on right now. Okay, Succession, Ted Lasso. You're watching a Succession. Of course, I watched Succession. It, I what? What are you talking about? Season? I didn't four, know you baby. watched that. Yeah, I love How that. How long show. Have you been watching that for? Since day one. Wow. Day one suckhead. Uh, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, that's <laughs> what they call the us. Wow. Suckheads. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Thank Suckheads. Thank you. Mental image. Um, but there was a movie that I watched the week before that we didn't talk about. Uh, I caught Sheen Ultraman, the uh, follow-up to Godzilla from the same studio. And I had a great time watching that film. Mm. It was a lot of fun. I needed I needed to sit down so I could read Japanese subtitles the whole time. Right. I don't read Japanese. I read English subtitles for Japanese movies. That's what I meant to say. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I, it was a lot of fun. It's it's. I don't think it's as fun as um, Godzilla, but I, it's just because I like Godzilla more than Ultraman. But it's a, it's a great movie. I, it was a lot of fun. I think you would like it some... Um, and I think you, did you like Shin Godzilla Proto? I can't remember. That's a three-star picture. So yes, you'll <laughs> like Ultraman. Uh, but anyway, I had a great time watching it. I'm excited for the next one. What is the next one? Shin what? The, Do we know what I it is? I think it's the Cayman Riders. Cayman, Shin Cayman Riders. Right? I could be wrong. I have no idea. I'm, I'm no one will correct you me. on this. I do want to see Shin Ultraman. Uh, I'm, I like the idea of them going through these characters. Mm-hmm. Shocking rating from Proto. I forgot we did that episode, right? Shin mm-hmm. Godzilla. That was like a supporter only mm-hmm. episode. Very early episode on the Patreon. Was it supporters only? Yeah. Oh my. That didn't, that didn't I don't think that went out to the main feed. <sighs> Who knows? What other shows are you watching besides uh, Succession? Uh, well, Ted Lasso. I'm a big yeah. Ted head, I guess you would call us. Is that what they call mm-hmm. us? Yeah. Ted heads. Internally, yes. Um, Mando. We're, I'm all caught up on Mando. Uh, we have one episode left, I believe. The finale's left for this f- third and final the season. Whole season? I guess. Is it? It's it? done. I can't believe Isn't it's it? all, almost over. They've all been eight like episodes. I happened. guess episode eight's the next episode. I don't know if they go any more than that. I mean, they should end it. Favreau out on parole. <laughs> um, I think that's it. And then we're in season six of Seinfeld watching it through. So okay. that's where I'm at on TV. There's a lot of TV all going right. around right now. What it, do, let's ask the question right now. Okay. Should Letterboxd have TV? No. Just no. You're you're a no on Letterboxd TV, Dan. No, I'm not I'm not on Letterboxd for TV. I'm on Letterboxd for movies and my movie community. Proto, where do you stand on this? I think Letterboxd could could tackle TV, but I think they need to they need to handle it in a in a different way than just it's logged in the same way as movies are. If they could come up with some kind of revolutionary, um, out of the box, some kind of you know technology f- feat that they, which they are totally capable of doing, they've done in the past. I think they could come up with a way to kind of separate it, but kind of keep oh. it together. Oh, um, separate but together, kind of like the way you can you know keep Christ in Christmas, separate church and state. But still, uh, still celebrate capitalism at the same time. Like similar <laughs> idea. If, uh, the thing is, let it out. I feel like I'm going to have to mute TV because it's like. What if it's not even on by default? What if it's a, what if it's a, a switch that you got to enable to see it happen? Like that's perfect. Movies? That's absolutely perfect. Put it right mm-hmm. next to porn on Letterboxd. <laughs> right I'm not going to. It's not going to see it in my feed. I don't want to have to worry about another place on the internet where I'm getting my episodes spoiled before I can get to it. Fair. No one knows how to use the spoiler tags correctly on Letterboxd no. already. No, 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 no. Let's say hello to some new patrons that joined us this week. Joshua, Landon, and Tiff all joined. They got access to the VHS Village Discord. 
Uh, discounts on prints, our Jesus print, Last Temptation. We're, we're, there's whispers. We might send that out to churches to try to change mm-hmm. some minds and hearts about the podcast and maybe Jesus himself, who knows? And also, you know, our exclusive episodes just for supporters. Oh, you know, I, I made a note. Disclaimer, Please. I'm a letterbox employee. I didn't say that okay. during the TV discussion, but I am. And you can get 20% off upgrading to pro or patron using the special code on 70mmpod.com. Keep that in that's mind. Lot, that's a lot of percent. Yeah, I'm rubbing my fingers together to display money. You know, it's oh, a lot of discount. Yeah. It's one more criterion purchase you can make. About a, sh- a, a shorty hogue from Wawa with that with that savings. Oh. I watched Blue Steel with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. You've probably seen the poster. It's Jamie Lee holding a gun. She's a cop. I mean, you Big probably can watch that gun. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Technically, I did watch it pretty early. I usually watch these later. I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll keep, keep it brief. Catherine Bigelow directed yes. it. It's an early Queen. Catherine Bigelow John. Point Break, The Hurt Locker, Near Dark, Strange Days, Detroit. Was this right after um, Point Break? I think Point Break was 94. So this oh, might before. have been right before. Let me pull it up here. This is, right, this is after Near Dark. Uh, she had done The Loveless with Willem Dafoe before that. He looks like a greaser. Like a Jesus. High school. He's wearing all leather. Um, but she's a rookie cop and she like her it's like her first week she murders some guy that had a gun oh who was trying gosh. to rob a convenience store or like supermarket. But Ron Silver is also in the supermarket and the guy that she shoots, the 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 robber drops the gun. Ron Silver sees the gun as he's down on the ground, picks it up, keeps it. He's really? like he's like, you know. Having he's like aroused by this gun at home. He like saw like, oh, what could I do with this gun? So he he plays kind of like a, a pretty creepy villain in this. He's like a stock trader, but potentially also a sociopath. So he like goes on like a killing spree with this gun that went missing. So she's like about to get fired. Like, how did you is there was there really a gun when you shot this guy? So her job is in turmoil. Uh unbeknownst to her, she actually starts dating Ron Silver. In oh my god! <laughs> Who wrote this thing? <laughs> um, this is a Paul Schrader a- script. <laughs> <laughs> um, unbeknownst, she knows she's dating. Unbeknownst to her, that he's the one who's killing everyone with a gun. Clancy Brown is in it. He's in like fifty Star Wars shows. He's got a great head of hair in this, though. Um, there's a pretty disgusting assault scene later in the movie. It kind of oh, ruined no. the whole thing for me. So it was okay. Didn't, I didn't like it that much. Goodness. Sorry, Catherine. Catherine Sorry, Kath. An L for me. Better luck next time, Catherine. But we got to get into The Last Temptation of Christ. It's You, you know the month. It's The Last Temptation of 70mm. We're going through. We're almost out of this month. We have one more episode to do after this. We haven't announced the movie yet, but it's big. Uh, and our oh. guest is big as well. But this is Danny's pick. Yes. And Proto, what's this movie about? Martin Scorsese, Paul Schrader. Maybe Paul Schrader's first appearance on this podcast. Everything is from God. Everything has two meanings. All people born in the image of God hold true truths within them. They are both flesh and spirit. No one can escape this, not even the Son of God. Jesus 
growing ever closer to his destiny, agonizes over what awaits him and what he will be denied. Can he follow through on his mission when he feels like such a coward? Can he deny his longings for love and family? Will his last temptation doom his mission or resolve his will to become the savior of the world? The Last Temptation of Christ. I had some reviews I wanted to bring up here. I had, I had one I wanted to just call out. There was a theme that I started to see among villagers in our community. The Last Temptation of Christ, two and a half stars. It was well made and looks good, but I was often bored and just felt like Jesus was unbelievable. Mm. Maybe I just don't like Willem in the role, or maybe Harvey Keitel didn't belong in the same country as this production, who knows? A lot of Harvey Keitel bashing in the Discord. I mean, you saw his hair. That's from Trainer, by the way. Gin- he was a ginger. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Not me, that's for sure. So I had seen this before. I had heard of this movie growing up. It's an altar boy. Oh. Altar boy of the year, by the way. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Do you get a medal for any- that? <laughs> If anyone asks, I don't know. I probably got like a Pizza Hut coupon or something. I don't know. Oh, like a Working bucket. At that... <laughs> I got like a Christian bucket. It was probably some Christian run pizza place. If those exist, I don't know. I just made that up. Wafer stamps. <laughs> I put tomato sauce in a wafer as I was <laughs> waiting for the next mass to start. So I had heard of this movie growing up. I had heard that it was like an R-rated Jesus movie. That's like pretty much all I knew about it growing up. And I think my parents probably suggested to me not to watch it where, you mm. know, if you had brought this up to a priest, he'd probably say something extremely negative about it. And at least my youth would be like the Catholic church viewpoint, Roman Catholic, I guess is Robert Scorsese's view. Um, Pardon, mm. What about you? What did you hear of this movie growing up? Growing up, I would say this movie was probably <sighs> enemy number one. For the church community that I was in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, At least when there was any talk of it, it was funny. We we were celebrating my mom's birthday um, last week and we were, you know, the podcasts came up and I said, yeah, this next week we're we're covering the last temptation of Christ. Oh, no. And... And when I said that, it, it looked like my dad almost like shriveled up. Like he like, <laughs> like he had like a, almost like an allergic reaction to me, to me saying that. So I, I think it might still hold true uh, that just the sense of like what this movie is and how it's, uh, you know, blasphemous. It's, it's mm-hmm. blasphemy to the, the scripture and how it, it, how it derails and kind of takes Jesus, Jesus's story and fictionalizes it away from scripture. So it was very much taboo growing up. Goodness. I mean, growing up Southern Baptist, I never heard about this film. It wasn't talked mm-hmm. about ever. It was never brought up to not watch it. And I'm actually kind of surprised. I feel like a lot of the stuff at least in the Baptist church, we, we'd like to ban our things and, and, and just be mad about beer and stuff. And uh, so I was surprised that this didn't come up at any point in my upbringing that this was a movie not to watch or um, so I didn't, I honestly didn't hear about it 
for a very long time. And then you bringing it up when we first started recording that you would love to have done this for the podcast at some point, uh, I looked back into it. And so, yeah, here we are. So this was your first viewing. This, first viewing, this conversation. completely. And the, I mean, even looking into this movie the, from the podcast standpoint, uh, this is first time I've even really thought about this film. It's in the Criterion, by the way. There is a Criterion release. It's streaming on Prime as we speak. So yeah, I think the first time that I had watched it as an adult was maybe like last year, the year before. And we'll probably get into much of those thoughts as our conversation goes. But we'll go round table around the room, see what each person kind of jotted down that we want to discuss for this particular viewing. Um, and since this was Danny's pick, you're leading us off, baby cakes. Um, I would love to start. <laughs> I would love to start at the end because for me, the last 15, 20, 30 minutes of this film, I feel like is when it really shines. And I really the the crucifixion story. And leading into that final scene. But for me, it's the bamboozle of the little girl uh, guardian angel moment when she's at the mm. foot of the cross, uh, taking the nails out of his feet and hands, kissing his feet and hands. Like this scene is incredible to me. I think it's really well done, well shot. And for me, a lot of this, a lot of my, my I think what I love most about this film is the story itself. And how it's so unexpected from my point of view, from anything I had been brought up hearing about Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but to have a, a moment where Jesus is taken off the cross and he chooses not to die, like that whole segment really was uh, pretty great. I, I really liked that bit of storytelling. And then to find out that she was the devil, was Satan. And she had uh, led him off the cross so he didn't die for humanity. I was just kind of dumbfounded. I thought that was a yeah. pretty amazing bit of storytelling. Um, and I, I don't know if my jaw dropped, but I was like, damn, this is awesome. <laughs> like this yeah. is this is really, <laughs> like most of the movie, I'm like, this is this is okay. This is fine. And I think I expected kind of, more from, I don't know, the blasphemy side of the story of Jesus or from what I gathered. But this ending I thought was uh, something incredible. And then to learn, and then for him to just return to the cross and to continue to die for the sins and it is accomplished. I, I just really, I think for this movie, I do think it stuck the landing quite well for, for an almost three hour movie. Yeah, the first time I watched this, I I I agree. It kind of blew my mind. Um, him coming off the cross. Uh, I thought that whole segment, that whole idea, was incredible, especially because of it as another temptation. Um, you know, him coming mm -hmm. out of the desert and having this final temptation, where really <laughs> his life just kind of looks like everyone else's. Um, mm -hmm. you know, rather than like, you know, when he's in the desert, he's tempted by, um, you know, all the power in the world, all the riches in the world. And this last temptation is like, what if you could just be a normal guy mm -hmm. and marry the love of your life and have kids and just live a quiet life? 
And that's basically like what 99% of all humanity has. And that's <laughs> kind of like all that he wanted. I think it's like, it's, it's really beautiful and it really connects to it, it. It makes it so easy to connect to your own life in that way. I had completely forgotten about literally the last temptation of Christ when I watched this like last year <laughs> and I was like blown away. I was like, wait a minute. He's not crucified. What's happening here? <laughs> and he like, he's living a life. He gets, you know, a, a life with Mary Magdalene. Like, so this guardian angel says, uh, tricks him. He's like, oh, you've done it. You did all, you know, you did such a great job. God's, God's finished with you. You, you can go live a life now. You're, and then the sigh, the relief he gives when he's, he's like, I'm not the Messiah. Mm. And he likes, it's such a great scene where he just like exhales almost as he's taken off the cross. And he like, you know, has a life with Mary Magdalene and then she dies and the guardian angel, what was the guardian angel saying? Like, no, don't worry. The, you know, the real woman is still alive or like your real love. And it's like Lazarus's two sisters. So he goes mm -hmm. to like, you know, almost have a polygamous relationship with them and he's got like eight kids. He go, he gets old. And I honestly couldn't remember. I was like, is this a dream? Because like he meets up with the apostles when he's like in his seventies and on his deathbed. Right. And they find him. And then Judas is there and Judas calls him like a coward. He's like, how could you do this? You gave up, mm -hmm. you know, instead of dying for everyone. And he's like, that guardian angel, Satan, idiot. And then like the little girl turns into like a flame <laughs> and Jesus like starts crapping his pants. He's like, ah, you got me. Um, but I just think that like that detour is so bonkers to think about. And I guess looking back, the I think the sex stuff, the sexuality aspect is probably what made so many people Catholics butthurt. But like this sidetrack of Jesus giving into that temptation and living a life for so many years and not realizing it, I thought was, is like, like Danny said, it's like the best part of the whole movie. And when he meets up with Paul, Harry Dean Stanton, before that, remember how he, 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 like the Saul to Paul yeah. um, journey and Harry Dean Stanton is, Jesus finds him and he's like, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm the guy who was on the cross. Like, mm -hmm. you're talking about me. I, that, none of that stuff happened. And Paul is like, I don't need that to happen for the legend to be real. People will believe in a legend. Just a minute. What's the matter with you? Look around you. Look at all these people. Look at their faces. Do you see how unhappy they are? Do you see how much they're suffering? Their only hope is the resurrected Jesus. I don't care whether you're Jesus or not. The resurrected Jesus will save the world, and that's what matters. Those are lies. You can't save the world by lying. I created the truth out of what people needed and what they believed. If I have to crucify you to save the world, then I'll crucify you. And if I have to resurrect you, then I'll do that too, whether you like it or not. I won't let you. I'll tell everyone the truth. <laughs> Go ahead. Go on. Tell them now. Who's going to believe you? And like Jesus like crafts his pants <laughs> like to hear that like <laughs> people would believe in a lie to further their own salvation. I think that scene is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie because at that moment, he like thinks that like, maybe I should have done it to die and to save everyone. But what Paul is saying there is like, 
you know, I don't want to say anything scandalous here, but like you could view that as like much of religion today. Mm. Like what Paul is saying yeah. there. He's like, I don't need you to actually die for the sins. I can make stuff up to save people, which I think is mm. pretty deep and still holds up today. It's an homage to Batman. And like Bat Batman said, he was an, I you know, he's more than a man. He's an idea. Mm. It's the same with Jesus. <laughs> You'll chase me. <laughs> you see Batman hobbling up this, the back of the Dark Knight movie. <laughs> Why are they chasing Batman? Why are they chasing Jesus? <laughs> I love that scene with Harry Dean Stanton too, especially because I think it's, like the, 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 the message that uh, Paul is giving in that scene is basically like in the Bible. I think it's like in the early part of Acts where he's, I think he's in Athens and he gives basically like this whole message, like his testimony in the same way in the scene. And, and, and I agree with everything you said. It was just like, the, like <laughs> Willem Dafoe being so dumbfounded at the idea of like, wait, I don't need to be the Messiah for all of this to matter. <laughs> like him having mm -hmm. that realization is so great. And you're so right because right. Like there's, there's so many people in this living today who would say like, these things didn't actually happen, but we're still living in the reality of what Christianity has the effect that it's had on the world. So if mm -hmm. it happened or didn't happen, the effect are, is still the same. So regardless of what you believe and in the same way, like what Paul is saying in, in those moments, it's like, we don't need you to be real anymore because we have this story, this ideal that we can carry with us to preach and to like give this good news to people. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I listened to the director's commentary. You know, we talked about that like podcast feed. It said like G pop. I can't remember what the hell it's spelled, but there's a podcast RSS feed that posts director's commentaries, very valuable. But the one that they put up for Last Temptation of Christ is just Scorsese and Schrader. There's a longer version on YouTube that includes the co-writer and Willem Dafoe. I don't know why they would post a, a cut up version of that because Willem's stuff on the commentary is actually pretty cool. Um, but Schrader, like, Schrader is like a historian. Um, when he, when you listen to him talk about the book and like the, the thinking behind all this stuff about how like, God is a headache to Jesus to start the movie, like that those visions that he gets. Mm. Like God is the strongest headache you'll ever get, which I thought was a fascinating way to put it. Uh, but he even mentions like, and I kind of forget, but like in the Bible, like Paul is the reason why everyone knows these stories anyway. He even said like a weird phrase. He's like, Paul walked the known earth four times on his feet to spread the gospel. So I highly mm. recommend listening to the director's commentary. I think it's on the Criterion disc if you have it, but it's also on YouTube for free. Proto, what's yours? What's the first thing you want to bring up? The first thing I would want to bring up is is Judas and Harvey Keitel in this role <laughs> as Judas. Um, so I think the first thing that blew me away when I first saw this movie was The Last Temptation and that final act and, and how it kind of turns it, the whole story on its head. But the thing after that, definitely the runner-up, is the, the, the telling of Judas' story as Jesus is like right-hand man, um, he's portrayed as really like the, the one disciple who actually has strength to do anything that like all these other men that are following Jesus are just these weak individuals who really are kind of lost. But Judas is the one who has a, a mission 
and is holding Jesus accountable and 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 Jesus even says like you you are the strong one and the fact that it's presented as rather than Judas being a betrayer of Jesus that he is following Jesus's command to mm-hmm. betray him to sacrifice him to like we need I need you to hand me up and that like really blew my mind the first time I saw this and I I just love that portrayal of Judas because that's like just nothing that's just like nothing that I had ever seen before for this this person of, of Judas yeah in the commentary Scorsese and Schreier even mentioned that while they were making the movie they thought that that was going to be the main thing that people would get upset about like how Judas was shown to be that backbone in this whole like conversation mm. with Jesus. But no, he, he like essentially even said like nobody really cared or focused on that and being upset by it because that is a pretty, if I remember correctly, a pretty strict like or a pretty big deviation from scripture. I will say I had, a, I had quite a hard time taking Judas seriously for a bit and almost only because it felt like this was probably like a tape that he could have mailed in to, you know, try out for Bilbo Baggins and in a live action. <laughs> I, I couldn't take his look in this film. It was, um, it just was very hard taking Harvey seriously. And there, honestly, it was, took me, it took me a long time. I mean, honestly, probably till the end to take this movie seriously. It, there's mm-hmm. a, there's just, there's a lot about it that, I wasn't connecting with, but the Judas part, I think also he comes, not just his look. I mean, his look is one thing. He just, it's, it's, it's a special look, but the, he comes on so strong in the beginning when he's beating up Jesus for making the crosses. Um, And I, I, it was so jarring and I wasn't prepared for, for that. And there was just so much about that performance that I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I had a hard time taking it seriously. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was fine. Like it was fine. That's, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. There was a lot of Harvey Keitel ribbing in our, in our discord about his look and his voice. Um, to be honest, I didn't mind it that much. I didn't think he was like out of place. I don't know, maybe just because I have had institutionalized memories of his performance in this. So it's like hard for me to drift away from that thinking. This will drift into, I guess my first point, but it's, it's about, Jesus the man and like Harvey is like insulting him like you're a Jew killing Jews you're a coward at the beginning of this movie he's making the crosses for the Romans to crucify Mm -hmm. his people and Jesus is like right there when someone's getting you know the nails through their feet and their hands he's literally tying their feet together which is nuts Um, so like with my upbringing which I've mentioned before is not like kind of where I am now but that is like mind blowing to me to see the the like, and this is talked about in the 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 um commentary bit of like separating Jesus the man with like Jesus, you know the the deity or the, like the God or you know the vision like something that's higher than that. I never saw any of this stuff growing up. Jesus who's like a person, Jesus who's mm-hmm. like a person who struggled with the idea that you have to be crucified to save people. Like, this is your calling. So, like, him building these crosses, like, at the beginning of the movie, it was, like, mind-blowing to me when I first saw this. And him, like, you know, him, like, grappling with the idea of it, him dancing and smiling. Like, when I first saw those scenes, I was like, whoa, 
Jesus dancing and smiling? What the? Like, I've never seen any of this. Mm. Like, you're just so used to these paintings and like the scripture of everything just being so by the book. Because like, I remember when I was a kid, like nothing changed in the Catholic church. Everything has been done the same for the last like however many hundreds of years. So like when you see this character of a man being in in struggle, I thought those, you know, those are pretty powerful scenes in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I think watching this, that was my main takeaway is that, and I wrote this in my 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 review when I initially saw it, is that growing up, one thing that I longed for was to be able to, to imagine Jesus more as a man than as God. But being in a church and hearing about Jesus, it was so hard to not see him mostly as God. And even when you read the scripture, it's him performing miracles, him teaching. So all the things you get about him feel more like the God side of things rather than the man side of things. And this is more, this is more like 90% of him as a man than it is as a God. So that aspect of this movie just really felt like it was giving me um, just this understanding and this view of this person that I had never seen before. And I think that's the thing I most appreciate about this, regardless of whether, you know, most of it's fiction or, you know, it doesn't follow scripture. That doesn't matter. The fact that it just as a tool that it could allow me to imagine him as a man and not as God is what I really appreciate. Seeing this, how many, what would my youth have turned in? Not like I have turned out screwed up, but I mean like religiously, like I'm agnostic. I don't know what the hell is going on on this planet and out there, but like what would things have been different if the church really did view Jesus as a man with struggles that went through, you know, hard times, (laughs) had to make like tough decisions who didn't always make the decisions, the right decisions. That's probably what I would have wanted from a church. Like, and, and I'm not talking about like Catholic church or whatever, but like a community that like makes it, it okay for you to feel like you're going to screw up. You're not going to know what to do. You know who else did, did this, thought the same? Jesus. <laughs> like that would have resonated with <laughs> yeah. a lot of people, I feel like. Uh, so that's just kind of the, the last thing I'll say about that. You know, it's really funny because I sit here and I listen to you guys say this and I had I I I I think I don't connect with this film because of that. I remember very specifically so much of the sermons growing up, how it was so leaned into how Jesus was tempted exactly like us, and he went through our same struggles, and it was kind of it was almost not like beaten into us, but mainly into the into the a lot. I mean, obviously into the. My 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 groups, the Sunday schools that we were in was all boys. And so it was like leaned into like, he struggles like you. And this is exactly what he went through. And he he is God because he, he never succumbed to the temptations, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like none of this movie felt shocking. It all felt Fresh. like, yeah, this is what I, this is what I kind of expected. And that's why I think I really love the ending the most because of how, how off the wall it was from for me, but I, I don't know. I, I there's so much was just like, yeah, this is this is kind of how I pictured it a bit, and I don't know why. In a Southern Baptist church, I got that kind of idea in my head, at least to stick with me till now. Um, but it's really weird. It's really funny to hear you guys talk about this because I feel like that's probably how I should have been 
brought up in believing and, to, and God, mm-hmm. but I always had a flawed kind of view of it. Not flawed, and, uh, you know what I mean, but... Right, right. Anyway, that, I think that's why I'm not connecting with this film, like some do. Mm-hmm. How, this is just a random note. How about drinking wine in what presumably is 100 degree heat constantly? Ugh. It's like the only thing they drink. <laughs> it's 85 <laughs> degrees, the wine. The thickness wine of that wine. It's hotter than room temperature. It's 50% vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that was my first point. Danny, what's your next one? Uh, my next one. Uh, I'm going to roll into that and who I was just talking about. I, I, I did not connect with this film. Uh, in in a way that I felt like I was reading so many reviews of people's takes on this. Honestly, I found until the crucifixion scene, I honestly found this movie quite funny. And to the oh. point where I paused it at one moment because I was laughing so hard. And Casey was <laughs> shocked at how hard I was Kay- laughing. I saw, once I saw Casey's review come in, I kind of had an inkling. No, no, no. Oh, she hated wonder- this film, but it was she had seen this film before. Um, there's a moment where uh, he's the she's being stoned and he steps in front of her and <laughs> he says something to um Irvin Kirshner Irvin Kirshner uh, and uh about him cheating and someone from the background was like Judith Judith <laughs> and Honestly, I, I slipped into Monty Python. I really thought this was like a funny bit. And it really, it really took me out of it to where I on it was just I just laughed. And this I just I really did not connect this film. And a lot of it also has to do with I found this film to be quite ugly. I didn't think it looked good at all. I thought it felt very uh college student mm. uh kind of cinematography and and the way things were shot it felt very bland and kind of a bit i mean it was a, it was quite boring for a while of it for me yeah there are there are scenes that definitely drag and i think scorsese has pointed out that like i think he was i don't want to say like rock bottom but like this was a project to try to get him back in the good graces of the studio because i think they they only agreed for like 7 million all in that was like the only amount of money that they would give him. So they were shooting sometimes scenes and like improvising maybe like one or two takes because that's all the time they had for some of these scenes and they were just moving on to the next thing just to get the movie done. So it definitely, I mean, it doesn't look, you know, it's on location. It doesn't look like a Scorsese movie. It looks like almost, you know, pretty low budget Jesus movie with Willem Dafoe in it. And my, I think my bar was kind of set kind of high coming into this because the the love it gets for like the criterion and in and sort of the communities i was expecting like some sort of cecil de b demille type mm-hmm. epic in the desert yeah. um so when i'm watching <laughs> when i'm just watching him like draw circles in the desert and just sit there with a terribly bad green screen moment with the lion it's just it's very interesting i i i, I was i was bored i was just really bored with this film yeah, you know, I, I had that thought about like, yeah, a lot of the scenes where there's crowds, it just doesn't look good. It, it, it doesn't really look like lo- a crowd. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it looks like there's 30, there, you know, there's like 20 extras and they're right. all like doing the, like the, the, the tomahawk 
you know, motion. <laughs> and and then, like when Jesus starts like flipping tables, it, it like he does it in like three different scenes. There's always a guy in the background who's doing like the shrug with his hands up. Like, what is this guy doing? As if that would be a natural <laughs> response to a guy coming through and destroying your livelihood of just like raising your hands up. Um, so there's like a lot of scenes, even the scene at the beginning with Judas, where he's like in a fight and like stabbing a guy. There's like people who are like just in the background, just like moseying about like nothing's going on. It, there's a lot of stuff like that, that kind of just like looks out of place. And I kind of had the, th- the thought when I was watching it this time that I would have almost preferred that there was like none of the miracle scenes. And, right. and I almost don't even know why I almost like. I think I would have liked this movie better if they would have just not even gone there with him being like the literal, because I feel like by having him perform the miracles, you're like taking a stance that he is the one, like he is God in this. Like that's what Scorsese is saying. Like, Oh, he actually is performing these miracles. But I feel like if you left those out, it would have been almost like more interesting to, just not include those scenes. And I, I feel like they weren't really necessary. Yeah. And I, I, for so much of it, I'm thinking this, I don't feel like it's changing his his story enough for me to be kind of upset about it. I feel like there was so much of a black cloud around this film that I expected Jesus to be like banging everyone in Jerusalem. That's how, <laughs> that's how it felt like coming into this film. People are so mad about this film. Uh, but he still is Jesus. He's still performing his miracles. He's still not really succumbing to any of his temptations. And even when we see him, you know, Mary have sex, it's also just a dream. Like he, it's still, he still is Jesus. He still dies on the cross and it's, it's really wild to me. Or was it a dream? You know, the, the, I actually wasn't sure only because why would in a dream the disciples be the one to tell him about the devil? You know, like I just felt right. like it was, that was like a weird story point. Um, Art points out in chat, the out of placeness, the unhidden accents, the wigs and odd casting all added to the whole Elseworlds vibe for me. And I ate it up. Yeah. The Elseworlds was going to be one of my jokey reviews <laughs> for this movie. I mean, that's why Elseworlds I felt like Jesus. it was like the last temptation of Monty Python. I really found so much of it comedic up until the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the idea of like not having the miracles or maybe even make them more potential hallucinations, maybe to drinking so much wine in 100 degree yeah. heat, like that would have been maybe even more scandalous at the time to make like the viewer think that maybe they didn't happen. And then maybe the guardian angel girl be the only kind of shady thing that happened. That probably would have freaked people out. <laughs> and honestly, I would love, I mean, outside of having to deal with a conservative Christian backlash modern day. I think an actual kind of money thrown at this story, a remake would be kind of incredible. Someone, I mean, even Scorsese taking another stab at it would be something special, but I feel like the right amount of money behind this, it is a good story. I really do like the story. There's, I wrote in my notes about how, what if they made a modern day version of this story? Yeah. Like, Oh, like not set in... Not even set in back then. Like, what if it's just like modern times when some guy just like wakes up with these like visions or girl. That's Batman. um, And, you know, has to go through this thinking about like, I might have to die to save the world Hmm. and future generations. And then he like, 
you know, I, I don't know. That would be a, a fascinating story. A24, I mean, call us. <laughs> A24 is probably working on it right now Greta. for Apple TV+. Plus. Um, the one thing I want to point out, Paul mentioned something I saw on the wiki that it was like one of those, you'll do this for us. Uh, I'll, like, if you let me do this, I'll do a movie for you. So this mm. is essentially why he did Cape Fear. Like, this was kind of like the mm. handshake. And the Color of Money, I think, too, right? Uh, Color of Money was right before this. Yeah. Uh, Cape Fear came out after Goodfellas. So he did this, uh, then Goodfellas, Cape Fear. Um, Proto, next on your list. Next on my list, the idea of um, the duality of all things, uh, mm. the, that idea that this movie represents. And I wonder, I, I'm really curious to read the book because I feel like this is maybe the crux more so of the book. Because even though this book, even though the story is about Jesus, I feel like the story really is more about like the human condition. And even how the movie starts with a quote from the author of the book where it says it's the, the story, it's based on the exploration of the eternal spiritual conflict, which is something that I would say like all people experience, whether you like it or not. Um, and I almost don't even, and I feel like the movie touches on it, but it doesn't really fully explore, fully explore it or doesn't give you a ton to hold on to. But the scene that I think really um, hits on it is when Jesus goes to the desert for the first time and he's sleeping in that hut. And then he wakes up and those two snakes come out of the ground and start speaking to him. And, um, and they even say, they say that like everything has two meanings. And as someone who grew up as a Christian, I feel like <laughs> spending 25 years reading the Bible and trying to decipher like what all of this means, one of the main things that I came away from was with that, like there are two meanings to everything and that there's like two sides to everything. And that this, even, even with the character of Jesus, they get to it of like, you know, he thinks like the message is love. Um, but then there's the character of Judas who's saying like, well, no, we need a sword. Like we need to like rise mm -hmm. up and fight the Romans. And then Jesus has like this turning point, right? Where he, he starts to embrace that message that Jesus of the Bible has, where he says, like, I came to bring a sword mm -hmm. as well. Like, my message is love. God is love, but I am bringing a sword. So there's like this, this dual message in the same thing that the movie hints at. I don't think it fully explores it, um, but it, it, it shows up in different parts of the movie that I really appreciate. And I'd be interested to finally have you watch Silence, Proto, Scorsese's other you know, religious exploration. You didn't even watch that yet, right? I have seen it. <laughs> he has seen but it. But it's yeah. been too long to remember anything about too long. it. All right. Maybe maybe another <laughs> viewing because I remember, I think art had pushed me to watch it maybe, but I think it does the same things. But yeah. I think I ended up with the same thought that like, hey, he doesn't quite get there. And then I wondered mm -hmm. like, maybe that's just the whole point. Maybe he doesn't want to like find out or tell you. And it's just up to you mm -hmm. to kind of figure it out judging with what you have in front of you, which I appreciate, but doesn't really work for me. Peter Gabriel. Finally. Please. The music in this movie is 
perfection. I mm. cannot believe that the music in this movie exists in the way it does. I don't know. It's just like too 80s, too weird, new wavy oddity, but I love every second of it. The song that that plays uh, a different drum when he's going back into the the temple where he thinks like everyone has kind of changed their ways and he's riding the donkey. That music that plays during that scene is incredible. freaks the F out anyway because he still sees that like nothing has changed <laughs> um, but obviously and even the last song that plays during the crucifixion it's insane I, I, I can't believe that I don't know the, the fourth thought of Scorsese to go with Peter Gabriel to have like this kind of mixture of different cultures to produce the music for this movie I loved it it's incredible did you look into how he came to working with Peter on this I did, I f there wasn't much on Peter Gabriel's website and I don't know if I did skipped it in the commentary, but I don't think it's brought up unless someone else mm. listened to the commentary and, and heard it. But I was kind of <clears throat> anxious to hear at the end, like, oh, I can't wait to hear him talk about this Peter Gabriel song at the end of this movie when he gets crucified <laughs> and he doesn't do it. <laughs> what did you think of the music, Danny? Did you like it? Yeah, well, yeah, I definitely liked it. And I, I think I liked it for all the reasons kind of everyone does. It's, it's a real interesting juxtaposition with what you're watching on the screen. I really like any movie that does that, where it kind of goes out of its way to have um, a score that's not, I mean, this almost feels like Tangerine Dream uh, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I felt like I was watching Suspiria. It's kind of like this mm -hmm. score that kind of doesn't really fit what you're watching, but also it fits. I mean, there's, there's something yeah. about it that really is um, amazing that scene you're talking about specifically with the donkey scene and flipping the tables and all that kind of stuff there's a real um, for something that's kind of 80 cent there's a real earthiness to it there's something very grounded about it that kind of connects you to what you're seeing on the screen but at the same time it elevates this movie so much more than than not yeah mm -hmm. I, I, I agree I think it's I think it's inspired I don't know how they even came to a place where it's like maybe Peter Gabriel could do the sound, you know, the score for this movie. <laughs> like, how, how do you even come to that conclusion? But it's integrated so well, and there's a few scenes that are so impressive in the way that it integrates. I remember the first time I watched this, the scene with John the Baptist, and you know, they're kind of having like a rave at the River Jordan, and there's drums that are playing, and it's almost like like there's like a, like a, an orchestra there, or there's just like people mm -hmm. banging on a drum, but it's actually just, it's the Peter Gabriel music mm -hmm. that's like integrated into the scene. Yeah. And it's done in so many different scenes in the same way, where as if it's like, it, it feels as if it's of the time, but meshed with this music that was very of the moment and how they came to a point to even be able to do that. I, I really don't understand it, but mm. it, it works so well. I like, I just, yeah, I totally agree. I, I think it's amazing. All the whole entire score in this. 
Maybe it was divine intervention. God, yeah. yes. I really was thinking about Interstellar when I was watching this because I feel like it's the same kind of thing. You have a very sci-fi heavy movie with something that's very organ, uh, like breathy kind of organ music. And then you have this, which is like 80s synth, but we're watching Jesus mm-hmm. walk through the desert. And it's very, yeah. they both have had their separate ways on making the music work with what you're watching on screen. When I was looking to see kind of like how they came to work together, I got an article that was on like petergabriel.com where they interviewed the en- like the engineer, his Peter Gabriel's main engineer on the album, Passion, which is what it's called, Nige Tassel. No idea if that's the correct pronunciation, but he was even saying how like when some of the North African artists came in to record, you know, he had to like get everything set up with like the levels. And he was like, he said he saw like instruments he'd never even seen before or never had needed to record before. He like didn't know how to like work the levels. He's like, I don't want to get blown out to the point where he was like recording them and like heavily monitoring the levels. Like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. I don't want to lose this recording. And later in the article, he points out about how they recorded the Wells Cathedral Boys Choir singing a piece from Gabriel that he wrote. And they like felt it was like the most perfect piece for the movie. Um, And they wanted to share that with like uh, Martin Scorsese. Like this is, you know, here's what we have so far. Here's one of the tracks. And they're playing it during the crucif, like the, the scene where the guardian angel tells Jesus, like you're done. And Marty's like, we actually can't use this music at all because this is the most blasphemous scene in the entire movie. I, and I've already got people with death threats against me. So like, we can't use this beautiful piece of music for when oh, wow. the Satan tricks Jesus off the cross, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> uh, Danny, final point. Or final point. I'm not sure if Let's go with, I'll still go with final point. Um, while I was bored for a lot of this, I think... Willem acted his ass off in this film. I think he he really went for it as Jesus, even though it's a very uh, it's a very Willem Dafoe Jesus, which I found interesting. I think a lot of me not connecting with this also is just it's it's a very it felt like a very uh, Broadway performance of mm. the Jesus story. The, every the accents this felt like we were in a New York theater or something, but um. I think Willem does a great job. There, the moments where he's very passionately speaking to a crowd or yelling, and he his little monologues are very well done. Um, and I, I feel like he just kind of liked this role. I, I watch a couple of interviews with him, and he just he he kind of sings praises of work with Marty in this. And there's just something about Willem. I think if it's anyone else. I'm not quite as captivated into this mm. Jesus as I am. I think there's there's an oddness about Willem and almost anything he's in, but I think that's what kind of is very captivating about him as an actor. Um, and I think for a movie that has the black cloud over it of being blasphemous about Jesus, I think he kind of fits this role kind of uh, kind of well for this film. Yeah, he brings his Willem weirdness to this role. He's not an mm-hmm. actor. Like I could have seen maybe like an, a, an, another actor who would have fit at this time is maybe like Daniel day Lewis. Um, but Daniel day Lewis would have kind of like melded or like kind of disappeared into like the role of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Whereas Willem, he, fe- it feels like you're watching Willem Dafoe be Jesus, mm-hmm. which 
and yeah, I agree. I think it, I think it works. Uh, like there was just so many like line deliveries he has. Like he doesn't even try to talk in a different way. It's just right. very much that like I, I was dying laughing when um when he's at the wedding and he turns the water to the wine and he says, you know, go over there and make sure. Do it. <laughs> like just like <laughs> Yeah, his delivery. His mouth is like a mile wide. And just like the way words come out of it. And he doesn't try to hide it at all. He's just like totally himself. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think it I, I agree. I think it just fits for this this story. He was so smug in that scene. You almost wanted to slap him right in the face. <laughs> like, okay, we get it. You change the wine, change to wine cheese. I'm the son of God. <laughs> I'm the son of God. Check it again. There was a moment in the commentary with Willem, which I loved. He was talking about the final scene where he like says that he wants to be the Messiah, you know, like to finally like, yeah, crucify me. He said that his first attempt at that was so bad that he felt humiliated. It was like so poor. And like Marty came up to him and was like, it's not really what we're going for. Maybe we can give you another one. And he said he used that in the take that was used in the movie. Like he felt so defeated and like downtrodden that that's what he used to get that final scene. Oh, wow. Uh, That's in the movie, which I thought was fascinating. Frodo, number three. So even though we talked about like this movie is low budget um, and not everything looked great, maybe scene to scene, I really love the costumes in this. Um, I love the, like that all the, I, I don't know if this is like, uh, accurate, but just like all the tattoos that like the women had, mm. um, on them. I just, it, it just looked really compelling. Um, my favorite character though, is definitely when Isaiah comes to, to Jesus in the dream and it's, it's like for a very brief moment. And, and I think he's maybe Jesus is talking to Jesus oh, and he's saying yeah. like, you know, Isaiah came to me in a dream and he showed me that I'm the lamb who the lamb who will be slain. And but like Judas is there and he has like these he has like this, fingers, these yeah. gloves on and he has like this amazing cowl over his head. He just looks like the most badass prophet, dead prophet come back to earth to talk to Jesus that I've ever seen. Um, and I just loved like all of the, the, the robes and the costumes that they yeah. wore. And even though they might've looked like they just pulled them off of like a costume rack uh, for whatever reason in this movie, it, it really, it worked for me. This movie has like a very strange balance between feeling very much like they're, just shooting a movie very obviously, but then also having stuff that feels like it, it really fits or just looks good. I don't know how else to explain it, but mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed a lot of that. How about uh, Jesus's fit when he saw Paul? I, he looked like Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi wearing that black cloak. <laughs> <laughs> like if anyone has, Paul maybe has a screenshot of Jesus in the black cloak, but I was like, I'm getting Luke Skywalker vibes right now from Jesus walking around here. <laughs> It's very Can you strange. Imagine Willem in Star Wars. My God. Oh God. In the dome? Are wow. you kidding me? Holy in cow. the dome. Dome him. <laughs> yeah. The, the the kind of like low budget aspect of it. It probably sucked at the time to be forced into that and have to do quick pickups and shots and everything. But you know, looking back, I feel like this version is probably what I prefer. You know, that kind of like low budget running gun style to make this movie. It worked for me too. Um, we haven't talked about Mary Magdalene 
at all. I love the scene mm. when he like comes to her like brothel at the start of the movie. I mean, that's also probably like an early scene where you realize what you're kind of getting into. Um, where he like wants to, he like needs forgiveness from Mary. We're almost here like reading into it. Like were they, you know, together before, but maybe something happened that kind of forced her into this life of prostitution perhaps. Probably also a, a blasphemous thing for people to see when this had come out. But yeah, like that that idea of of those characters being real people, I think just really resonates with me when I watch mm-hmm. this movie. So I mean, we've kind of already covered that a bunch, so I don't have to go too too deep on it. I do have a ton of honorable mentions. Let me just see if I won't bring out any of them. I mean, crucifixion looks painful. Stonings <laughs> look painful. <laughs> Like those rocks that were hitting Mary and Jesus. Like, oh my God. Can you imagine Mm -hmm. getting stoned? Jeez. Imagine like looking out your window and like, oh, they're doing a stoning. Let me, let me (laughs) me join in. (laughs) Irving Kirshner wanted to stone the S out of them. (laughs) He was bloodthirsty at getting a Classic Zebedee. (laughs) Also like, (laughs) also like the disciples still kind of like walking with him and following him, but still like they're unsure. Like they're not all together in, they all still have their own little hangups and like, they're not perfect. Um, it was cool to see that in the movie as well. That scene gave me um, Forrest Gump vibes where he's like walking and then like it would, it would cut to like just more people following Jesus. You know, that scene of Forrest Gump where he's like, he just decides to start running and then he has like the crowd behind him. <laughs> oh Yeah. Obvious Forrest Gump homage from Scorsese. <laughs> the uh, the one uh, the one disciple always worried about his sheep. I don't know why it made me laugh every time too. He kept worrying about oh, getting yeah. his sheep back. Yeah. Uh, How about them killing Lazarus? Saul killing yo, Lazarus. Like yeah. when they like verified pretty much that. Oh yeah, you are back from the dead. Knife in the stomach. You're Knife dead now. Stomach. For real. The Lazarus scene was pretty cool though, when Jesus did like the jujitsu to bring him out of the tomb. <laughs> yes. That was amazing. I don't know what Get that it, was all jiu-jitsu. of a sudden. He was just like <laughs> just bringing him out. That was rad. Lazarus looked That's good a- though. I was, th- I was really wondering if they're gonna give us like zombie Lazarus, but he he did look pretty uh creepy. He was acting kind of creepy too. Like how many weeks or days has it been since he was ro- risen from the dead and he was still kind of like right. out of it? He's not like, you know, high five and everybody. He's still like, he looks ill. When they ask him or if what it was, was they asking what it was like or something being dead or? Oh yeah. Like, did so you really want to come back? Or like, I, th- I thought it was, I think, I wish they would have leaned in like, did Lazarus want to be resurrected? <laughs> like, does he want to be mm-hmm. brought back on earth? Like, yeah, he'd already gone over. Yeah. Um, final honorable mentions, Danny, and letterbox rating for the uh, the uh, last temptation of Christ. Um, I don't. I think I don't have any honorable mentions. I I, I like. I, I joked about the desert scene, but I did like the desert scene when the snake comes again to tempt him when he's sitting in the circle and the fire is rad. Like that's a rad scene and. I like the quick cut when um, that Scorsese does with him throwing the apple seeds into the ground. I liked I liked that kind of editing that where the tree grew. Um, for me, oh yeah, we didn't even talk about David Bowie in this. That I I was expecting him more <laughs> than uh, just a two minute scene, but mm. he was cool. Uh, I enjoyed this film. I, I did I did like it. Um, 
I thought for me, a, a lot of it was boring in, in comedical and I didn't connect terribly well. I think I, I think I expected something a lot more extreme than what this was. I think I expected from what I read about all the, the negativity around it and what actually, what happened then that the attacks on the, the theater that people were watching and however blockbuster not carrying the VHS of it and so much drama around this. I, I was expecting something absolutely insane and, and, and it, it really was a good, it was fine. It was a fine movie. Um, ending I said stuck for me. I really loved the ending. So I'm at a three star for this. I'm at three stars. Three stars, three stars for Jesus. Blessings. Proto. Um, so we talked about Harvey Keitel. I, I'll just, I just want to say that I'm on the pro Harvey Keitel scene. I, I feel like all of these characters, it, it kind of has like a little bit of like a, you know, New York City. Like, what if Jesus was from New York City type of vibe, right? With all these characters, right. <laughs> um, and uh, I kind of enjoy that. I love to see. There's like a there's a screenshot. Um, uh, somebody posted in Discord. They they photoshopped us on the three of them where they're like kneeling down. I forget what the scene is, but like someone says, like, "Oh, there's Jesus," and it's like him. Yeah, there. Yeah, Philip just put it in the in the chat, but it's Jesus with with two of the disciples. Um, and it like I feel like that is such like a almost like a New York city vibe of these dudes just like yeah. chilling here, like mm-hmm. looking at the conversation. Um, uh, David Bowie saying that Golgotha has like 3000 human remains on mm-hmm. the hill there. Could you imagine just like going up a hill being covered in human bones? Mm-hmm. That just seems like so insane. Mm. Uh, the the, yeah. the thought of that, uh, and they showed it a little bit where you just see like these skulls there, like just uh, a, a, a different world. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't really talk like we we I think we mentioned how like low budget some of this movie is, but there are some like really beautiful scenes. I really thought like the scene where after Jesus uh, he accepts the temptation and comes off the cross, and then Mary Magdalene is like wiping his wounds in that. It wounds in that in that hut and just the lighting in that scene of him like of her holding Jesus and 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 wiping his wounds and just that whole scene just looked incredible uh how they how they set up all the lighting in that um I found that like really compelling and beautiful um I think one of the things I struggled most with this movie is just not really buying Jesus going all in on being the Messiah uh, because for the first hour, he's like really struggling. Like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh God, please dad. And then suddenly he's like, I'm all in, but it didn't really feel like there was almost like a reason given for that so much. It just felt like all of a sudden he was like, I'm ready to do it. Um, So I wish there was kind of like a little bit more there. Um, I definitely like this more the first time I saw it uh, than oh. this time. Uh, I think it's because of just like the initial like hits when just hitting me for the first time of seeing all these things and like coming back to it. It just didn't have as much of the same effect, um, you know, being fresh. But um, I think this movie is still pretty compelling. So I'm going to stay at four stars oh, for, wow. for this the old rope-a-dope on that one. I wasn't sure if we're getting a three-star. <laughs> Love to see Jesus woodworking 
That was one of my notes. Oh, uh, interesting. God is the ultimate headache. I thought it was a great way to view this. Going through my honorable mentions here. Lucifer telling him he's not a man. He's the son of man and more. I thought that was a cool angle too. Lucifer kind of like goading him Confirming on. Confirming it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw Yoli mention this or someone mentioned it in chat. One of my notes. Was Jesus a Slytherin when he was talking to the snakes? <laughs> Jesus is parcel time. Jesus the first <laughs> Slytherin. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I, yeah, I wouldn't mind a modern story in which a group of friends and one of them is panicking for weeks because they've been told they're the Messiah, the son of God. <laughs> um, what's the seed? Love. I always love those conversations where he was, when that when that mode hit for him, where he was really kind of hard on that angle. Wasn't there a line where um, he was speaking, but someone yelled, he's a virgin and his semen is backed up in his head. That's why he's yes. crazy. <laughs> During like this. Yes. I, can't, I don't know if that was the stoning scene or the, the temple scene. Yeah, they were really letting him have it there. Unreal. That's a good dig. Mary Magdalene's effed up bloody feet on that walk. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. She needs to get some new sandals. 100% new pair. When the music stops. Oh yeah, what arrogance to think you can save the world. I love that discussion too. Jesus with an ax. That was a badass image. Yeah, out of the sand. No one can tell me otherwise. Um, I, I wrote, you said jujitsu. I wrote yoga at the Lazarus cave. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on how it ended? The, the film kind of running out and I, yeah, I've what? heard that story where like the film, there was, the film was damaged. So that shot is like the last shot on film. Really? Or that real. Yeah. I, I think that's a story that I've heard before. Maybe that's on the Wikipedia, but. I mean, it works. It's an incredible way to end the movie. With, oh, like, I agree. The film Definitely. burning up or being ac- exposed to light in that way—it's so it's kind cool. of beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The, at the end, um, Marty was talking about how this movie was like him back at square one, pretty much, which I thought was very cool. This was recorded, I think, ten years after it had come out, so ninety-eight. Um, and he mentions a movie that Proto has like talked about about wanting to do, which was Heaven's Gate. And he says, directors used to be like the one, the boss. They used to be the one in charge. But Heaven's Gate changed all that. And I thought Hmm. that was cool to hear him say that about the era and how like Heaven's Gate was like a notorious flop. It was like the most expensive movie ever made. Uh, I think it was Cimino, Cimino, and like that changed things. So it was cool to see like just a little snippet of, of him talking about that. The other thing I want to mention, last thing is hearing Scorsese talk about what it means for a movie of his to connect with people. And if it ever does, and will you ever know? He like almost says that like, I don't know if any of my movies have ever connected with anybody. And I don't mm. know if you can ever really know. And I don't even know if I want to know. He's like, you, you, you make the thing, you put it out there. Mm. And that's just the way it is. Um, I thought that the perspectives that he talked about in the commentary were fascinating as a director. Um, it, like director's commentaries are so good. So good. People, if you are in any way interested in this movie, I, I highly suggest you listen to it for this one. Um, that's it. Four and a half stars. I'm still at four and a half stars for mm, The Last Invitation. 
Love had it. a great experience. I mean, the, the color for the credit scene is also a banger too. Like the bright colors as the credits are rolling. So cool. I mean, that crown of thorns art that it opens with for that title card is gorgeous. Oh my God. Oh yeah. The blood. How about him just standing there with a the crown of thorns on his head? What a that what shot a, what of though. That shot of him where it's just black and he's just his face right at the screen. That's a great shot. Yeah. Yeah. And Schrader, Schrader is like a scholar. I think he said he's like he's Calvin. Mm. You ever heard of that religion? Like he's Calvinist. It's Calvinist. Calvinist. Yeah. Calvinist. Yeah. I never heard hardcore. of that. Hardcore. That's pretty hardcore. That's that's deep stuff. <laughs> yeah, he was talking about how he has. Yeah, he essentially said that like it's a it's the the religion of thinkers or whatever. Something alluded to that. <laughs> I mean, he's, I'm paraphrasing. Please don't say what I'm saying is gospel from Schrader. Don't okay. worry, I've seen Trader movies. I know what I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we have a letter to get to. Before we talk about next week, uh, you can leave us a letter at 70mmpod at gmail.com. Uh, okay, so subject line, appreciate you. This comes from Nick. Hi, 70mm hosts and fam. This is Nick. Caesar, czar83 in Discord, or if you're slim, Caesar. Just oh wanted to say thanks to the group for all the fun, laughs, community, and great times. I've had a rough few months after losing my dad in December and an uncle just this mm. past week. It's so nice to be able to disconnect and listen to great episodes, pop into the Discord, and see it all abuzz with activity on all sorts of subjects. It's been a great place for me for a while now, but an especially great place for a distraction lately. Keep up the great work. Appreciate you all, Nick. Nick, we appreciate you. The, the amount of things going on in this Discord. There's, there's so many things that, there's so many things I have muted I have no idea mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's great Nick we're obviously glad we could help in some small way been there we're here next week we gotta talk about next week how do we even oh. talk about next week how do we even get to this <laughs> the last week for last mm-hmm. temptation of 70mm it feels like it's been going on for months but we're almost out the door so next week we have a special guest we talked about it last week. I talked about it on Dune Pod. You can listen to my rollerball episode on Dune Pod. Um, that's Jason Goldman, co-host of Dune Pod. You probably maybe you don't listen to Dune Pod. Who's Jason? Why should I care? Jason's former. I'm gonna rattle off some accolades. Let's do it. Please, for Jason. Read right the now. back of former, his his trading card. His CSV trading card. Uh, former VP of Twitter. Yes, he did something at the Obama administration. Who knows what that is? You know, maybe it was some kind of chief digital officer, I think. Right-hand man or something. No one knows. I actually didn't know this, but Jason has a degree in astrophysics. Did you know that? What? Yeah. I think I maybe knew that. Maybe I heard that on a previous Dune Pod episode. Uh, But more important than all that, we DM with Jason all the time about watches. Mm -hmm. Love watches. Love watches. We're DMing back and forth about watches we see on Instagram. Watches we can't afford. Jason has an extensive watch collection. It's very impressive. That might be half the episode next week. Good. If I can be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason's pick for next week. Let me pull it up on Letterboxd here. Boopie, boopie, boop, 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 boop. What's the average rating? <laughs> 4. 4.0. 4.0 average. 4.0. Eight Academy Award noms. Oh, gosh. Three Academy Award wins. One of them went to Danny's boy. 
Streaming on the Roku channel. It's streaming everywhere. Pluto, Voodoo, it's on. Hoopla, Canopy, support your local library if you're able. 1971, Norman Jewison, Fiddler on the Roof. Mamma mia. It's finally mm. happening mm. after all these years. Is Art sitting down? I think this might have been one of Art's uh, prayers. Art wanted Yenthal. <laughs> Some of Art's suggestions, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Fiddler on the Roof, about a milkman in a village who attempts to maintain his Jewish religion and cultural traditions as outside influences encroach upon his family's life. Mm. Pardo, you ever seen this movie? I've never seen this movie. Never seen it. Very excited. Never seen it. Very excited. Never seen it. Danny, you never seen it. So no, wasn't, no, this no. This wasn't planned on a VHS in the Baptist huge. church growing up? No. Fiddles are outlawed. <laughs> Straight to confession if you even think about a fiddle. Doing anything mm-hmm. with a fiddle, really. Charlie so I'm Daniels excited for that. <laughs> Devil went down to Georgia. It's three hours? It? No. Jason, no. Jason. Three, 179 minutes. Oh, Jason. boy. Ooh. <laughs> I'm looking up some averages here. I see Kev has this as a five bang. Kev has uh, We're having Kev five bang. That's the real question. It's got to be a shorter He's list. He's tossing out five bangs like they're Easter candy. Loaves of um, bread feeding the 5,000. Co-host of the Austin Danger Pod. Um, quote unquote, masterpiece, tears of joy and sorrow in equal measure. That's from Kev, five stars. Kev 316. <laughs> <laughs> Soph, our dear friend Soph. What's she at? What is she at? Four and a half stars. Oh. This is a musical, yeah. by the way. What? This is a musical. Excuse Are me. Are we prepared for it, that? Three hour musical? Am I, what? Ty McGowan. I think he played on the the Houston Astros a couple years ago when they won the World Series. Congrats. The music, the cinematography, the choreography. This is the greatest movie musical ever made. What? Five stars. What? So that's what that's what we're looking forward to next week. That's three three hours. Hours. That already <laughs> drops it down a star. <laughs> Carlo, any closing thoughts this week as we venture into the final week and somewhere brand new next month? Well, you know, what you what you shared about what Martin Scorsese said about his movies, you know, like, will anyone connect with them? I think that's the same thought that I have about this podcast. Oh. You know, will anyone connect mm. with anything that we do? Um, you know, this episode, previous episodes, future episodes, anything that we'll create. And I guess... You know, we'll never really know, um, but uh, we can hope. And if anything's true, I think Mart, uh, you know, Marty, you know, Marty, uh, he says he doesn't know, but um, I've connected with things he's done. Mm. <laughs> I have. I mean, have you seen Goodfellas? <laughs> when are we doing Goodfellas on the show? Please. <laughs> Close out please. the last temptation of 70 and then with Goodfellas. <laughs> it's time but I, I mean that gives me hope that someone has connected with our show as well so uh, it's it's a nice sentiment absolutely next week Fiddler on the Roof
70 Millimeter is a tape deck production featuring original artwork provided by Danny Haas. Spiritual Guidance and V'ger, the robot who loves movies, provided by Pertalexis. Producer at large, Dale underscore A. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin and music composed by Cinematric. Prints and other merch are available on 70mmpod.com. This episode was mixed, edited, and produced by me, Slim. Support our Patreon for access to our VHS Village Discord to talk movies with new friends, access to our exclusive episodes in the 70mm vault, discounts on merch, uncut episodes, and a physical membership card mailed to you. To check out other Tape Deck podcasts, find the link in the episode notes. And if you'd like to support our friends at Letterboxd and upgrade to pro or patron status, you can do so with a 20% off discount using the links on 70mmpod.com. Goodbye. This, this, this is a Tape Deck podcast.